This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Good morning, everybody. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Cat's tears have already preached the sermon for us. Well, it's good to be back. Missed you guys last week. Heard Scott's excellent sermon and 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 dined on that as you did last Sunday. So in this passage, Peter is continuing to answer the question for these elect exiles who are going through suffering. How are God's people to relate to the kingdoms and institutions of the world. How are we to relate to the kingdoms and the institutions that are human now that we belong to God as God's sons and daughters? And as we saw last week in Scott's text, this whole section, I think, can be viewed through this lens, through two, two verses. Go back to verse 12 and 13. Look at those verses for a second. This is a lens through which we look at this question. How do, we, how do we live according to the, under these kingdoms and institutions? Well, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Gentiles being those who don't know Christ. All-inclusive term here. And be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So we honor others and we're subject to others because and only because we honor God and we're subject to God. And that's what the word teaches us to do. We, we love God and we submit to those authorities whom he has raised up, whether they are just or unjust. Right? Notice that Peter tells us in verse 17 to fear God, but he doesn't tell us to fear people. We who belong to God have nothing to fear. Amen? 
We don't have to fear people. We don't have to fear human institutions. We don't have to fear aliens. We don't have to fear anything because God is our Father. And we are held in His hand by His grace. That blood-bought grace that won our pardon and then gives us strength to do all that we're commanded to do under Christ. He's replaced that spirit of fear with one of power and love and self-control. But look, having no need to fear people does not preclude us being subject to them under God. We are subject to God, and therefore we can be subject to those people and those institutions. And sometimes, and, and many times, we will suffer just because we're doing the right thing, as Christ did. Let's see what what this looks like under three main points. The blessing of unjust suffering, the model for unjust suffering, and then the power for unjust suffering. Now, in no way is this an endorsement, this passage is an endorsement of slavery. We should never think that. We should never entertain that idea. When we get into conversations with the world, when they want to attack Christians because you Christians endorse slavery as patently false, but it was a human institution then. In fact, slavery was widespread. It was rampant in the Roman world. In fact, the word he he uses here for slave is, is household or servant, is household servant. Many slaves in the Roman Empire then would have been professional occupations now. They were accountants. They were teachers. They were physicians. And yet they were under the authority of another, sometimes a despotic person, leader, someone who ruled them with an iron fist. But Peter's not advocating for the perpetuation of slavery, not by any means, neither does Paul in his letters, but both apostles, listen, this is the key here, both apostles are speaking to believers where they are, encouraging them where they are, that you have a higher calling, No matter what your station in life is, you have a higher calling. And Paul even says to Christian slaves in Ephesians, he says, render service to your masters with a good will. Don't do it grudgingly. Have a good will as you render service. And then he speaks to the masters. He says, and do the same to them who serve you. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no partiality with him. So Peter says we're to be subject to our masters with all respect. You see that verse 18, I'm sorry. Be be subject with all respect. It's a derivative of the same word Paul uses in Ephesians 5. Very familiar passage, Ephesians 5. And let each one of you husbands love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Why? Why in the world would a wife or a servant... Respect a husband or a master who is not deserving of respect. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you husbands think you are worthy of respect. (laughs) Because honestly, guys, are we completely worthy of respect? 100% I'm worthy of respect for my wife. And every, every man in here said, no, we're not. We're sinners. We mess up. We're not worthy of respect. See, that's not the point. The point point here, as men and women under 
authority, and sometimes authority that's not godly, sometimes husbands who are not godly, we look to our heavenly Father. We trust Him. We serve Him where He has placed us, right? We serve Him right where we are because we trust Him. When a servant is unjustly treated, that servant, that wife, can have confidence in the Father that He knows what's going on. Now, again, don't say, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if a woman's being beaten by her husband, she needs to take it silently and just let him beat her to death. No, she needs to call the police immediately. You know, ASAP, 911, that's your number if, you, if your husband is physically abusing you. But here he's saying, we serve the one who, is, who, who gives us confidence to stay in that place, when we are mindful of God, Peter says, I like that phrase here, it says, when we are mindful of God and endure suffering, it is a powerful thing. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures suffering while suffering unjustly. He says it again in verse 20. But if when we do good and suffer for it, you endure, there, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing. This is a grace-filled thing. It's a powerful thing when you're doing the right thing and you suffer because you're doing the right thing. This kind of trust and submission elicits divine favor. There's divine favor from God when we're walking through suffering not because of our sin. Peter says there's no credit. There's no credit when, when you suffer because you sinned. You did the wrong thing and you're suffering because of it. There's no credit there, but when we suffer unjustly, I, I, I just imagine God opens the heavens and he's pouring out blessings on us. On us. He didn't always pour it out on our friends who are watching us go through suffering and get angry at God because we're going through suffering, but God's Pouring out his lavishing grace and blessing and, and honor and love upon that person who's going through it. Think of the many testimonies in the first century or since that time where someone has suffered for the sake of Christ and people came, came into his kingdom as a result. We talked about uh, Paul and Silas a few weeks ago. Paul and Silas were beaten by Romans unjustly for 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 proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're placed in prison. They're in shackles. It's midnight. They're singing, bloodied and beaten and bruised. They're singing praises to God. Earthquake happens. And what happens after that? The jailer sees Paul and Silas's faith. They know, he knows instinctively where that comes from because God has given him grace to believe and he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ that night. You may have heard the story of the martyrs of Sebast. These were Roman soldiers in A.D. 320. All right? A.D. 320, they served under Licinius, an emperor who was a wicked emperor of Rome. All the soldiers in the army were commanded to honor and to even worship Licinius, the emperor. And 39 men in this particular unit said, we cannot do that. We are Christians. We cannot worship anyone but Christ. And they said, well, we'll see about that. So the first thing they did was they took the shirts off of these guys and they took a rope, a whip with metal thong or hooks on the end of it and they beat them bloody, ripping their flesh. The men still would not do it. They would not relent. 
So they said, well, then we will take you. It was the middle of winter, and there's a frozen pond, and they had the men take their clothes off, and then they said, you stand on that pond until you die. The men ran to the pond with joy, knowing that their night of suffering would end in an eternity of blessing in the presence of Christ. And the irony is there, there was a, they, they built a, a warm bath right beside of this pond. And they said, if anybody decides that you can renounce this Jesus person you worship, you just come and get in this warm bath and we'll give your clothes back. Not one of them did. But one of the Roman guards, as they were watching, one after another, these guys were huddling together to try to stay warm. The artwork here is not very good. But there's a picture of it, and they didn't have anything on in the real story. But they're huddling together, and of course, one after another, they're falling and going to sleep and, and dying. One of the Roman cards watching this, in their faith, he took his clothes off, and he went and stood with them. And so that's why it's 40 martyrs of Sebast. That's the story. And for 2,000 years, this story has been an impetus for many to come to Christ, who suffered for the sake of Christ. Well, that's the, that's the first point. The second is the model, the blessing of unjust suffering. Now the model of un, unjust suffering. And all of this, we look to Jesus. We follow him. We walk in his footsteps. Look again at verse 21. Or if you want, if you can see it, you can look up here at this banner that, that uh, Janet prepared for us. This is a great verse. I think this is the theme verse for this book. For to you, for to this, you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. What a powerhouse of truth. Some believe this verse was a hymn that the Christians often sung together to encourage one another. Some believe it was a creed that they recited uh, when they got together on, on Sunday for worship. And to encourage one another, hey, our suffering is just for a moment, right? Joy comes in the morning. We're going to be there. We're going to be with Jesus one day. And we can suffer just like he did without complaint. But look at this text. Look at this pillar upon which we stand, this verse. First, we are called to this. Right? For to this you have been called. To what? To what have we been called? To endure suffering while suffering unjustly. How can we do that? We have to go back and remember who we are. Chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim his excellencies. That's the only way we can go through it is that we have to know who we are and who God is. What you think of God says everything about how you live your life. And if we know God as our Father who holds us in His hands and is watching us and going through this suffering with us and giving us grace, blood-bought grace to endure it and even rejoice in it, then it's okay. See, if we don't see Him being called, if we just say, well, this is just a circumstance or it's just fate, then we go into stoic mode, right? We just grit our teeth and we, we just screw up our courage and we say, all right, I'm going to go through this. But because we've been called to this, then we can have our head up, we can have our, our, our eyes wide open, and we can rejoice, not in the suffering, but in Christ. We can rejoice in Christ, that we've been found worthy, as Paul said, to, to suffer in his name. Or Peter and John said that. 
They rejoiced in that. Guys, this is the very opposite of the so-called prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. And if you want to know what Paul said about those who preach any gospel other than the gospel, you can read Galatians 1 at your leisure. Not right now, but it's not very nice. He's not very nice about these people who preach another gospel. But this is the opposite of it. Prosperity gospel says, you know, you just need to have the good life. And here's how you can do it. Here's certain things you need to do to make sure that you have everything that you want and nothing that you don't want. No, we have been called to suffer for Christ. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us. That's the why. The example of Christ is one that saves. His suffering is a model for us because it produced our salvation. Notice in the text here, Peter says he suffered a verbal abuse and did not revile in return. He suffered injury we can't even begin to understand. He uttered not one word of threat. His suffering was powered by his complete and utter trust of his father. It says, it says he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If Christ could do that on the cross, then he has given us and he's in us by the Holy Spirit. He's given us the ability to do that as well. To continue to trust him who judges justly. And Christ's suffering was unjust. And sometimes ours is as well. You know, Christ's suffering for us then is not just a north star we can look to. I think it's an intrinsic, it's an eternal, it's in, an internal motivation that gives us the power to go through what we're going through with joy. Third, how do we do it? We follow in his steps. That's what Peter says here, verse 21. So that you may follow in his steps. You think when Peter wrote this, I wonder when Peter wrote that verse, if the Holy Spirit took him back to that charcoal fire in that courtyard where Jesus is being tried right next door and Peter is being accused of knowing this guy and finally he says, I do not know him with a curse. He curses at the young lady who's accusing him of being a compatriot with this Jesus guy. He curses him. And he's the one, he's the one who told Jesus, I'll die with you before I'll deny you. Jesus, no, Peter, you won't. You'll deny me when the, before the, the, the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And here he is doing exactly what Jesus told him. He did not follow in Jesus' steps on that dark night when strong men ran away. But you know what? After Jesus restored him, Peter followed him the rest of his life all the way to a cross prepared for him by Nero. He followed in his steps. So let me ask you something. Are you tired and discouraged and maybe feeling like a failure and wanting to give up because you have not followed Jesus the way you should follow Jesus? I have great news. You're just the person the Lord is looking for today. <laughs> just like Peter was. Jesus went and found him. He said, Peter, you're not a failure. I'm not done with you. Peter, I want you to enter into the ministry for which I prepared you for since before you were born. And he says the same thing to you and me. You're not a failure. Haven't done it perfectly? Nobody has. Right? We talked about 
uh, Ray Orland, grace is for knuckleheads. And we're all knuckleheads, and we need grace. Blood-bought grace. And it's there for us every moment of every day. He does the same for us. That leads us to the power of unjust suffering. You know, we can't do anything with the first two points unless this third truth is laid at the foundation of all our hopes. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is the atoning sacrifice that saved your life and mine and made us completely and utterly free, whether we're a slave in this life, in this, in this world, or a king in this world. doesn't matter. In Christ, we're, we're sons and daughters. We're free. And the one whom Jesus sets free is free indeed. No one took Jesus' place on the cross. He took our place. This is that amazing exchange. We, t- we hear about Paul writing, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, who knew sin very well, we were sin, might become the righteousness of God. Our suffering, again, is powered by blood-bought grace. Peter writes, by his wounds you have been healed. He looks back to Isaiah 53, verse 5. And with his wounds we are healed. It's not a verse to take out of context and claim healing whenever we think we want it for our bodies. I like Clowney's verse here. He said, or, or quote, he said, Christ's wounds heal suffering at its root, the curse of sin. That's the healing we needed. That's the healing we have been given in Christ. Once and for all, healing for our sins so the sins have been replaced by righteousness. Not ours, but the righteousness of Christ. So how can we live? Going back to those two verses that control this whole passage of submission and we're going to look again next week at wives submit to your husbands and what does that look like and Husbands, love your wives uh, and, and live with your wives and understanding that whole next section, again, is under this same heading. Again, let's go back to the beginning. What, what did I say? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Let's be honorable in our conduct. And be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution for the sake of Christ. For the Lord's sake. I'll leave you with this. It's a shorter sermon because i got more to say after the break today about home groups. So you'll get a second sermon. It'll be short. I love this quote. In Jesus, I have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, nothing to lose. What would it look like for you and me to live that way? Nothing to hide because I'm not hiding sin. I'm living in open confession. And when I sin, I deal with it. With the Lord and with others, if I need to, if I sin against somebody else, I have nothing to prove. I don't have to be a big shot. I don't have to be the center of the room, the center of attention. I don't have to be a a movie star or a a rock star or a football player to, to really make it in this life. I don't have anything I have to prove. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Fear God. That's it. Don't fear man. I have nothing to lose. If I give everything in my life to living and loving Jesus, you know, am I losing out? Am I losing out on all the fun stuff in this life? If I don't do all this fun stuff that's sinful so I can completely devote myself to Jesus, am I losing? Everybody said, 
No, no, Jesus said you can gain the whole world, but if you don't have me, you've lost everything. You lose your soul. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful this morning for these tear-stained verses that Kat read to us, Lord. And, and we, we are uh, in awe of this gift you've given through a sacrifice that we will never fully understand, even in heaven. We'll never fully understand because there's infinite wisdom that we as finite beings will not gain. And yet, Lord, we want to look into it more closely and we want to follow you more closely in that blood-bought grace you've given us. Help us to do that today, Lord, by your, by your grace and for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.